Welcome to Dub Nation, your home of the official show of the Utah Warriors of Major League Rugby. I'm Jeremy Jordan, alongside Banksy. Holy mackerel, Saturday was an unbelievable performance. Records on records on records and scores on top of scores on top of scores, baby. What a day for Dub Nation. It was incredible. We will break it down on the show. Oh, my gosh. MLR records. It, was, it wasn't just franchise records. It was MLR, MLR records. It was amazing. Okay, and in case you missed it, Paul Lasique, uh, the Harlequin suite of the South, played six minutes worth of guitar songs, singing, playing. He's incredible, by the way. He's coming home to Utah soon, baby. I think his uh, second career after he's done with rugby, maybe start cutting some albums, and who knows, man, Grammy Awards in Lasique's future. Dude, go check it out, at Harlequins. It was amazing. Okay, we're on the Utah Warriors Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube account. Subscribe to the podcast version on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Send in questions and comments if you have them. Here's what's on the show rundown. Loaded. Record-breaking win versus Dallas. Oh, my gosh. It was incredible. MLR Week 5 recap. Caleb Makany will join the program. We'll preview Week 6. Sunday game LA. Let's go. Rematch of the MLR semifinals there. And Bob Skinstad, South African World Cup winner, who's made a name in business post-career as well. Man, we, we had a fun conversation with him, which we will show you coming up later on. But first, you Warriors get the first win of the season, Banksy. In dramatic fashion, just kidding, no drama, 69 points, 10 tries. Here are the game notes from that. Uh, MLR record with 69 points. It's a team record, of course, as well. Uh, ties the MLR record for a 47-point margin of victory. Utah's first win of the season. It was the home opener. There were 3,608 fans there. That's the most in 2022 of any MLR team. And Colson Warner is the 100th Warrior. He also scored a try on debut. It was an unbelievable game. And let's add to that, Mikey Tails double makes him the all-time leading scorer for the Utah Warriors as well. Mika Cruz's hat trick. I mean, there's just so many incredible moments to mention. We only have so many spaces on the graphic. Good gosh. <laughs> uh, yes, it was awesome, right? Okay, so, and it took 15 minutes. Utah got a try from Sayohila. Cliven Lobster made a penalty goal, 10-0. Tomasi Tonga scores another try. How about that? Back to the games to make it 15-0, and the Warriors were off and running. It was uh, incredible. The inside gap from Tomasi in the left-hand fend, similar almost to what he did uh, last week. A great showing from him. Uh, he was a dominant force, and they had to mark him all game long. And he boots the ball after as well. He was that excited. <laughs> fired up scored in front of the home fans in front of his family and friends and former teammates it was a good uh, home debut for Tomasi I think Billy Rathule our uh, producer caught that ball which is pretty exciting <laughs> okay uh, penalty goal for Dallas after that makes it 15 to 3 Niall Saunders box kick Mika Kruse scores a try off this this is one of the best plays in in team history amazing vision by Niall and then Mika, of course, has this un unbelievable speed. The finishing ability from Mika and just the nonverbal communication between these guys. As the lineout comes out scrappy, you see here, Niall looks up, sees the 15 is in contact area, and just puts that little perfectly weighted ball over for Mika, who had sat back, and it was just a little look right there from Niall. And then, boop, there it goes, and it's a foot race. And Mika caught the defense sleeping for the first of three from him. And I don't know which was more impressive, to be honest, out of the three. They were all incredible. That was pretty awesome. Niall Saunders, by the way, had an 85-meter kick six minutes later, made a tackle, drew a penalty. That was one of the greatest plays I've ever seen in rugby. He Niall was so good in this game. Okay, so at halftime, uh, it's 22-3. to three. We go to the second half. Mika Kruse, one minute in on a great pass from Niall Saunders again. The big looping pass over the top, it was great to see, you know, and again, great vision. Niall perfectly laid the ball in. Mika hit it in stride and absolutely punished the defense. This ends up being the game-winning score, by the way. Utah does not need any more points after this one. Another <laughs> great kick, you know. And so on this one, and that was the previous play, just great pass up and over the, uh, the top, a skip pass over. Utah had six points in the first three games, by the way, in the first half. 29, uh, you know, on, on Saturday, which is awesome. Okay, so then, uh, yep, there it is. Amazing again. Okay, Mikey Tail scores a try, as you mentioned, to become the Warriors career try leader now with 12 uh, on the edge. He's, he's an unbelievable player. It's been amazing. 
You know, it's really tough when this Utah Warriors team has all of these different playmakers firing now and starting to find chemistry in space. This one started with a great line from Cliven Lobser, and then it was uh, Fisher and outside to Teo who finished. And then he got another one almost similar to this as well. Uh, you know, and it was really an incredible performance from Cliven Lobster as well. Tyler Fisher had some great breaks, but the ability of Mikey Teo to be in the right place at the right time on the outside can't be understated. And there's a reason why he's the all-time leading try scorer now for the Utah Warriors. A little kiss of the pill and dots yes. it down right there. It's a thing of beauty seeing Mikey in the try zone. And Sean Davies is saying, that was bloody awesome uh, as Utah <laughs> continues to pour it on here. Dallas scores a try, Eric Napowski, 41-10. Now Saunders. Uh, scores a try. Clinton Lobster had a great run on this. Fine Saunders for a try. Tuvedi Vungakoto scores. Uh, Dallas scores a couple more. And then Mika Kruse in the 75th scored another try for the hat trick. Great assist from Tyler Fisher. And then Colson Warner gets in and he scores as well on an assist from Mikey Tao. So it was just an unbelievable response here, Banksy, where we were like, this offense is going to explode. When did it happen? We didn't expect 69 points, though. And the scariest thing is, you know, they were on the attack from almost the first minute. The initial kickoff was knocked on. It gave the Warriors a penalty right out in front. But then 15 minutes goes by before they're finally able to crack the seal. Credit to that Dallas Jackals defense. It's a very young team, but they played very physical rugby. And uh, I expect good things from that club. I mean, class organization. It was all class from the players afterwards in the locker room. So hats off to those guys for sticking it out through a pretty brutal match for them. Someone had to lose. It was the battle of the winless, right? And Utah defended home turf in front of 3,600. It was amazing. So when that happens, what happens on the first 15 in the league? You get a bunch of guys. So three names uh, show up. Franco Vandenberg, Mika Kruse, Mikey Tail. Should there have been more, Banksy? There really could have been two more. You could have put Niall Saunders in there, and you could have put Cliven Lobser in there in the 15 spot. But, you know, they got to share the love around to some of the other teams around the league so they don't get, uh, you know, try-scoring envy. we got to – you know, it's fine. Is it? Uh, that was – yeah, it was so fun to watch. It was so fun to watch, and what an unbelievable performance, an all-time performance. We've seen this team five years now. That's the most points they've ever scored. It's the most points anyone has ever scored. In Major League Rugby history, which is pretty awesome. Now, Utah had given up 64 to Toronto. I, I'm not sure if that was the previous high. It was nice to just flush that down the toilet and have Utah on the right side of that. I remember that day. It was not a fun day. Okay, let's recap some of the other scores from around the league from uh, round five, as they call it. San Diego defeats Old Glory DC 24-12. Uh, New England upsets Rugby New York 38-29. That was, that was interesting. Free jacks are contenders, man. Take nothing away from uh, what New York's been able to do through the first four games. Uh, New England and New York. There's a battle going on there in the Northeast right now. In the battle of made-up drink names, uh, Austin wins 22-9 to over L.A. L.A. shown some vulnerability um, earlier this year than last year. Rugby 8 defeats Houston 29-22, although that was a good game. Houston puts up a really good fight, already beat L.A. Warriors, of course, we mentioned. And then this was, uh, you know, perhaps the, the game of the week was Nola taking down Seattle on the road. A big win for Nola Gold. They stuck it out in a gutty win. You know, Starfire, never an easy place to go into playing Seattle. Seattle's been really good in the early half of the season. So it's all to play for still with everything up in the air in both conferences in Major League Rugby. The only thing that's certain is nothing certain, man. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You like that? It was good, huh? I, I wrote that, that down earlier. I wrote that down. I'm sure you're not the first one to think of it. Uh, nah. yeah, let's let's take a, a look at the standings in the West. Austin on top with 23 points. San Diego with 20. Seattle with 15. Houston with 11. Uh, L.A. at 9. Utah at 8. Dallas with 2. So, again, three playoff spots. It's going to be just, you know, mortal combat to the end here. But Utah has reinserted itself into the – has entered the chat, if you will, for the playoffs because, hey, look what this team can do. Look what they can do when they finally got a home game and finally kind of got some continuity after playing three tough road games. Well, now we're talking about getting L.A. on the road right now and a vulnerable team in L.A. who are absolutely ravaged by injuries. This is a chance to flip now into that fifth position – if they can get a big win on the road. And now you're looking ahead to a pair of matches against Houston and then redemption home games against the top three. They have to come here 
to battle these warriors in conference to end the season. So it's all still very much up for grabs in the Western conference. And oh, by the way, with the bye week for Utah, one fewer game, right? Game in hand against the top four there. So keep that in mind. In the East, Rugby ATL on top, New York uh, one point behind, New England tied for second at 15 as well. Then Toronto with nine, Nola Gold with six, Old Glory DC with zero. Dallas uh, has two bonus points. That's why they have two points. But yeah, in the East, it uh, looks like a three-team race right now, but Nola and Toronto are good teams too. And we're talking about a similar start for Toronto that Utah had. Now they're starting to get home games north of the border there, and it's always a tough travel trip to make across the border and the rigors of just going international. So don't count out that Toronto Arrows team. I would say, you know, the, the battle there is between that top four and a good showing from Nola this week. I don't think they're going to go away or the gold either. Yeah. And that was on the road. It wasn't like they hosted in LA or uh, in Nola, excuse me, in the, in the humidity. I've called a game there. It was, it's crazy. when It's hot and humid. Glendale went in and won a few years ago with Sean Davies when he was on that team, but all right, let's go. Uh, okay, to week six we go of 16, uh, or of 18, I guess, because you have two bucks. Rugby ATL against Austin in Atlanta. That is a good game right there, man. Who you got in that one? Top of the table matchups. I think Austin are going to be too physical for rugby ATL at this point in the season. It starts with forward play, especially when you're on the road, and I think Austin's going to get the better of them in this particular situation. Austin, best team in the league right now? Mm, I would say they're the best performing team in the league. Um, I think there's there's a really high ceiling for San Diego. Obviously, the, the juggernaut has awoken with the Utah Warriors hanging 69 this weekend. I don't think anybody's looking forward to facing the Warriors after this. So there are still some really good teams across the league. Uh, and I think Austin is going to find themselves in a real tight spot come playoff time, fighting for their lives. Playoffs don't start tomorrow. They start in June, so let's Facts, go. Facts, Jerem Jordan. Late May, excuse me. Uh, New England taking on Toronto. Houston uh, hosting Seattle. Dallas uh, hosting Nola Gold. Remember, Dallas gave uh, Houston a great game. That that could be interesting, Nola Gold. Rugby New York, San Diego. Now, that's another mega matchup. Uh, there are three. And then the other, of course, is L.A. And we're biased. We think Utah and L.A. is a mega matchup. The two teams from the playoffs last year. Who do you got in uh, New York for San Diego? Uh, it's going to be tough. Rugby New York is playing good, not great rugby. And I think San Diego's starting to get things clicking, uh, in the quality of rugby that they're playing. That's going to be really close. I think San Diego might eat that out on the road. Mm. That's, that's going to be a fun game cross country. That'll be crazy. Okay. That wraps up what's coming up in week six. If you are ready to get your tickets for the next Utah Warriors home match, we're talking Toronto, March 19th at Zions Bank Stadium. Get it online. Go to uh, warriorsrugby.com and be ready to join the best home field advantage in Major League Rugby. We saw it in the home opener. Let's fill the stands again and break that 4,000 mark, man. When that place is rocking full of Dub Nation and the red and black, nobody can touch us. Make sure you're part of the madness at Zions Bank Stadium. That was an incredible showing by uh, Dub Nation on Saturday. It was so fun. Okay, our first of two guests today is a 25-year-old fly half from New Zealand. His name is Caleb Mockany. Here's our conversation with Caleb. Our first guest of the day is the 25-year-old fly half of the Utah Warriors, Caleb Mockany, all the way from New Zealand, who's had a big impact on the team so far. Caleb, welcome to the show, man. Yeah, yeah. Happy to be here, boys. Well, Saturday was fun. Uh, a lot of points, a great crowd. How was it for you, man? Oh, I enjoyed it. Eh? It was, um, I mean, the atmosphere was great and it was great for us to finally reach that potential. I think, um, obviously a frustrating few weeks with the losses, but we had, I mean, we had a lot to build on from those three weeks and it was, I mean, it was finally good to, to put something together and it was a really enjoyable game. Loved it. It feels like some of the pieces are starting to fall in place, especially with a lot of shuffling in the back line. The combination of Mikey Teo and Mika Cruze on the ends with you and Niall in the middle and then having Cliven Lobster in the back, it really feels like there's five different number 10s on the field in a different way the way yeah. you guys have started playing rugby. Talk about that chemistry and how it's developed, bro. Yeah, I mean, uh, all such talented boys um, playing around each other. Um, like you said, everyone can play make um, and everyone could play either one of those positions. So I think it 
it's probably has taken us a few weeks to figure each other out, um, as it does with new combinations and with boys that, you know, dudes like Mika and Mikey, um, such talented boys. But I think we're, we're slowly starting to gel now. And um, once those combinations do come right, I'm, I'm pretty excited to see what we can do for the rest of the season. Certainly the first three games were hard teams on the road. Uh, yep. You guys competed well in two of those three, right? Yeah. You knew you had it in you. Um, so what? how did you turn frustration into fight so that, you know, it didn't turn into a fourth loss, but you guys exploded mm. for a, a record amount of points in a Major League Rugby game? That was amazing. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I think coming off the back of those three performances, um, at times, like, we saw that we could put it together, but we just hadn't put together a full performance yet. Um and, yeah, I mean, three tough games on the road, obviously a few frustrating games at times, but it wasn't that we we didn't have the confidence. You know, we were, were confident in our game. We've been training well. Um, we were close in all, all of those games. So I think just being at home, um, this fourth game, we had complete confidence in the plan, the game plan we had. And uh, I think we just executed this time and it felt really good to finally show that we're, we're going to be a competitive team this year. Talk about looking ahead now to L.A. a little bit and a guy that you might know in uh, Rene Ai'i coming out of retirement mm-hmm. a little bit and putting the boots yeah. on, you know, former Sevens player of the year, a guy that I've played a bit of footy with at the old yep. boys level at yep. least. Uh, you know, what are you guys looking forward to heading into that matchup? Yeah, I mean, Rene, obviously a classy, classy boy coming in and I'm sure he's going to add a lot of experience to L.A. But um, I think we're just focusing on ourselves We've got a great platform to build off, um, and I think we're just gonna yeah try build with the long week. Got a lot of um, a lot of days to practice, so we're just yet yeah, really focused on ourselves. Try and nail that game plan again, and uh, put a good performance in finally on the road. For those who missed it, Arini Ie, basically he's an assistant coach. Luke Burton gets hurt in warmups. LA at Austin, and then and then uh, Arini plays in the game. So obviously Robbie Abel is still kind of playing. He's like the yeah. Canada on the staff that could jump in, right? Yeah, Can Sean sure. Davies still get in there if needed in that kind of moment? I think so. I mean, Sean, <laughs> Sean's got a bunch of energy and um, he's throwing the ball around at training whenever we're short on numbers. And, uh, yeah, he's still got it. So I think if, if need be, Sean could definitely jump in. Talk yeah. about the difference having somebody like Robbie in as well now that he's in country, uh, you know, another Kiwi, Modi All Black, and the, the history that he has playing at the top levels. Talk yep. about what that's done, because I noticed a difference in the platform and the, the consistency in the forward play this week, but I'm a forward, so I noticed that. You know, How has mm. he gelled in with that coaching staff, and what's he brought to the team now that you guys have had a couple of weeks to run with him? Yeah, I mean, Robbie has a lot of experience um, playing high-level footy, and I think it just helps to have you know an extra hand helping out. I mean, there's so much to get through with a shortened preseason and uh, – whatnot so i mean just having that extra hand and also the all the experience he brings from playing at such a high level um it's just really helped the boys i mean sit down our, our breakdown platform which we struggled with in the first few games and then our set piece also now as well so um i think those are really good things that we can build on moving forward with robbie and it's it's an exciting part of the game talking to caleb mckinney fly half on the team caleb i want to go back to kind of what happened saturday what what totally worked on Saturday that wasn't working the first three games? So it was pretty much just as simple as ball position for us. Um, we've been achieving a lot of our game plan in the first first three games, but we just couldn't hold the ball. I mean, look at our turnover rate in all three games. Um, we're turning over position, I mean, more than 10 plus times a game and any performance it's going to make it hard to to win a game when you're turning over the ball um because it's just hard to convert pressure into points that way so i think we just held the ball this game um but our set piece right and that meant that we could convert pressure into points whereas the first three games um we couldn't do that let's go back to some culture and chemistry questions here i got a chance to watch you guys in training a bit monday and as you guys win the rounds, there's really good energy among all of the boys. And I learned a little something about the locker room punishments that you guys have in place. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Talk about the, the penalty wheel when somebody uh, commits a professional infraction, like they're late to practice. Uh, yeah, yeah. 
You know, I see Paulie Mullins sporting a new haircut. Yep, I know yep, Mikey G. Mikey, Mikey G, I think, was in a moo-moo in the locker room yeah, post-game yeah. celebrating. Sure what are some other things on the wheel there that uh, that the boys are into if they're late for practice or miss something else? Um, yeah, I mean, there's a bunch of stuff. You've obviously got – you saw Mikey in the dress after the game, after match dress, uh, dance video. You, you boys might have saw earlier in the season the dance video, um, hair alteration. Um, and then there's, there's a bunch of stuff on there, but – you pretty much spin and you can get lucky you can get uh, a lesser fine but you can also get one of those ones that um like you see on paul yeah, a bit of a hair alteration although it does look good on paul i think it suits him well you know a bit it of the joe marker there you know i think it suits him yeah is that why bailey was in a dress coming home from austin yeah sure was. The airport okay yeah. i was like maybe that's bailey's thing i yeah yeah i, don't yeah. Know. I, just, I didn't you know maybe always wears a dress i have no idea Okay, um, how, how's the transition been living in the States? And is, was this your first time in the United States? Yep. So first time playing um, professionally overseas. First time I have been to the States before, but first time living in the States. Um, and I mean, the, the transition has been pretty smooth, uh, to be honest. Um, the, the Warriors staff are so good at looking after us. They've set us all up and they've done, I mean, everything to make the transition smooth. So I've, I've been loving every minute and um, I've been, yeah, really enjoying my time here in Utah. So I was asked this of the foreign guys as they come over here, you know, what's the reaction like when you tell people back home, oh, you're going to America to play rugby? Yeah, well, I, I guess it's a mixed mixed reaction day because some, some people don't really know how the level of the comp yet, but um, I mean, it's a growing comp and I think we'll see in, in five to 10 years, um, a lot more bet players wanting to come over. Um, but yeah, they, I think the, the appeal is definitely the lifestyle over here. Is so good. You get looked after, you're traveling around the States playing footy. So it's, it's definitely a great lifestyle. How was Saturday on your best days of rugby in your life? Because you score an MLR record 69, you tie the record for a 47 point win. And then the most fans that have seen a match this year, and yeah. one of the best crowds in MLR history, 3,608 showed up. That was pretty awesome. Yeah, I mean the crowd's awesome. Like to have to have that number and to have them so loud, um, it's a pretty cool experience. And, and I haven't really experienced, the, I guess, all the um, extra that comes with the home game. You know, running out to cheering fans and even the fireworks and everything. So it's it's a very different experience for me, and um, it was it was pretty cool. Um, and also just really happy to to get a performance that we can be proud of, because I mean the boys have been working so hard over the past six weeks and it does feel really good to finally put something together. Bro, I got nothing else for you, man. Congrats on an impressive performance and an impressive win and uh, can't wait to see you put it to him in LA, brother. Yeah, cheers. Thanks very much, boys. Cheers for having me. Thanks, Caleb. We appreciate it, man. All right. <laughs> it's been a nice addition and I think uh, moving Caleb Mockney to from 15, you're in the hood now, you call it. I feel like I got it like, it's what the cool guy thing is, right? Like Caleb's <laughs> done it. I got to, you know, I want to, I got to keep up with these kids. <laughs> I, have a hood. Um, I think, I think they found the right combo of, okay, Caleb at 10 and Cliven at 15 perhaps gives us a different look. What do you think? The chemistry has just been unbelievable. And it's just finding the right guys in the right place at the right week for what they're trying to do. And Watching them in training, really, it doesn't matter if it's, you know, Cliven, if it's Caleb, if it's Mikey, if it's Mika, if it's Danny, if it's Niall, depending on where they are on the field and what is in front of them, these guys have the ability to insert, to back off, to move and to adjust to any situation. It really is something special to watch in the way that they prepare for a game and the way they look at their attack now with these guys in these positions. It's so fun to see it just come together in a match because we knew Niall was a baller and we'd seen these spurts of like, oh my gosh, he's so fast. Oh my gosh, his decision-making is excellent. Mika is a guy that if you saw the uh, you know the player profile this week on him, multiple guys were like, he can just roll out of bed and do that. Like literally. <laughs> he has a hat trick and Tomasi scores, the, the young guy. And we get like Calvin Whiting's coming off the bench. There are Eagles coming off the bench. For the Warriors, which is super awesome. So we'll see what happens this week, which brings us to the preview of uh, Utah and L.A. It's coming up Sunday, March 13th, 5 Mountain Time. You can watch it on FS2, uh, stream it on KSLSports.com, uh, uh, the Rugby Network. 
Well, actually, I think it's just FS2 in this case when it's national. We've got the radio call on ESPN 700 960. First matchup since the playoffs. That was a disappointing loss where Utah lost 17-13, led late. It's a different L.A. team. It's a bit of a different Utah team. What do you think of this matchup now in 2022? I think last year Utah showed, especially in that semifinal match and that final game of the year even, that they can go toe-to-toe with anyone in this league and be as good as anybody for, in this particular case, 82 and a half minutes. I mean, when you talk about the Warriors being a play shy of playing for a a championship in Major League Rugby last year, that's really what it came down to. It was one moment and some special magic from Ryan James. Now, this is not that same LA team. They're missing a couple of veteran leaders. They have been ravaged by uh, injury. But don't forget, there are still weapons on that team. Uh, Least of all, not which, is their 42-year-old's fly half now with Oreni Ie coming. Remember, he kicked all nine points for them last week. And now when he's actually going to prepare to play in this game, he is electric still to this day with the ball in his hands. He's such a fun player to watch and an incredibly nice guy. So there, there is talent all over the pitch. And not let's not forget, you know, Hanko Kirschmas is in that lineup as well. So there's a lot of potency and versatility in this LA Giltini's offense. They're good, no doubt. Uh, are they going to put it together for this particular matchup? Uh, because last week uh, they did not. Granted, Austin's playing really well right now, as he talked about. So Utah did win the re- last regular season matchup. Well, they didn't send all their guys, but Utah took care of business at home, 34-29, one by five. The previous matchup uh, was at SoFi Stadium, where the Super Bowl was played in L.A. Utah lost that, 38-27. So these have been three interesting matchups. The last two of which have been one-score games, uh, which is pretty crazy. So one and two all-time against L.A., all three last year, of course, second year for the Giltinis. A couple players to watch. You mentioned Hanko Homicides. I never know how to actually say his name. I've heard it a million times. Arini Ie, you mentioned the fly half, who probably this week will be stretched out, unlike last week. And then Angus uh, Cottrell, uh, number eight, he's incredible. Billy Meeks, amazing. Like, we could name a million guys there. LA is super talented, but I think Utah coming off this win is really ready for, okay, we're going back out on the road for the fourth time this year. Let's get a signature win out of LA. Anytime you can beat the Giltinis, it's a fantastic win because they are really, really good. We've been talking about beating the reigning MLR champions, right, no matter what form they're in. So if you want to put the Western Conference and the entire league on notice, a big win at home is a big statement. Now go on the road and beat the reigning champs in their house and get a good result and come home with some more momentum. And I think the rest of the league is going to have to wake up and take notice of this Warriors team. 100%. It's coming up Sunday, 5 Mountain, FS2, ESPN 960, and ESPN 700 as well. If you haven't got your new season kit and get ready for that match, it's time to do your shopping, all right? Go to shop.warriorsrugby.com. Get your four stripes on. Get the new season kit and be ready. These boys are running out in that beautiful away kit that we've got here in Utah, that classic four stripe honoring the tradition that we have here in our community. Be ready. And don't forget the official watch parties as well. Shouts out to Redemption Bar and Grill. Uh, if you want to get together with other Dub Nation fans and watch the game together, Redemption Bar and Grill in Harriman is the place to go. Absolutely. We'd be there if we weren't calling the game, for goodness sake. Uh, one time we'll have to figure that out. Maybe we'll call the game from there. Who knows? Uh, okay, our next guest. We're so excited about this. Bob Skidstad is one of the all-time greats, 2007 World Cup champion with uh, South Africa, former captain there, seven sky, 15, super rugby guy with the Stormers, Cat Sharks, and so on. It is our privilege to have chatted with Bob. He's now living in England. Uh, he is in vent- venture capitalism and private equity, so he brings the business and the rugby. That's some experience with the Utah Warriors. Here's our conversation with Bob Skinstead. All right, Bob, thanks so much for uh, joining us on the program all the way from England. We had Paul Asike a couple weeks ago. Now we're going back to England uh, and having you on the program. Thanks for being here. Great pleasure, guys. It's, it's fantastic to chat. Anything any rugby, it's, it's late, at night, late at night and uh, a little bit sleepy this side of the world. But, you know, if we're going to be talking the game we love, <laughs> there's no problem at all. Absolutely. And we're thrilled that uh, we're talking with one of the legends of the game. So obviously, uh, you know, people who know rugby know you from South Africa for the Americans still getting introduced to it. Um, You know, your involvement as a player was tremendous. 
and then you've become uh, quite the successful businessman, and you've had your eye on Major League Rugby. Um, so it's been fun to sort of, uh, you know, get this opportunity to chat with you about it. So what, what's your perception of kind of what's going on in America with, with rugby at the moment? Look, I think the growth is fantastic. I, I really think that the, the game is is coming on in leaps and bounds. I think, um, and 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 you're right. I, I I did quite a deep dive with a with with our team, and and, and I work for a small uh, investment firm. And, and I mean, we spent 18 months, you know, in and around the team. So we 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 visited. We've we've been to Salt Lake City. We've been to San Diego. We've been um, across sort of. Texas as as it moved, we've been to LA and, and and we've seen what we think is one of the most amazing markets for rugby, um, the most the, the most committed um, sort of administrative participants, if you want, like people who've just like fallen in love with the game as kids, got back into it, they've coached, they've you know probably played, toured, done all that kind of stuff, and now they're coaching and managing, and they just keeping the game front and center. And then I've seen an amazing um, ability from the league to stick together, to grow, to, to, to make um, the best of opportunities. I mean, I think COVID was a hammer blow for, you know, rugby or MLR in general, but uh, rugby in general across the world, because, you know, suddenly you couldn't go to stadiums. When, when you guys had attendances going up each week, you know, just, just percentage increases and then nobody could go anywhere, then, pe- you know, people do fall off. But look at the way it's come back. I think I think what an amazing show of resilience. Um, I love the fact that it's it's pocketed communities of people who, who care about, you know, the other sports around them, the people around them, the schools, the colleges, et cetera. But it's also people who care about global rugby, you know. So, so it's more than just um, what's happening in the US. It's 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 a it's a global sport which is growing pretty quickly, and it excites us. I've, I've got to be honest, you know. We we did some really early work with San Diego Legion as they were branding. Matt Hawkins was one of the founders there, and and, and Matt was a guy who, who captained the the national sevens team, um, and for, for for you guys for for America. But he was at school in South Africa. And he just came back with these amazing stories about, um, you know, where the game could go, what the opportunities were. And then I had a chance to go out and watch the the uh, the World Cup of Sevens in in San Fran. Um, and the hosting was incredible. I mean, my, myself and my family were there. We like this game is born to succeed in, in, in the U.S., you know, which, as everybody knows, is the world's biggest sports market. So I, I'm just excited about it. I, I don't know if it's going to happen tomorrow or if it's going to happen in 10 years, but it's going to happen. So, so you know, I've been spending more and more time in and around the game, and, and I just love it a bit. I love how excited that passion for the game is still there, Bob. It's, it's incredible. You were, in your time, one of the first, what I would say, like modern open side flankers in the, the style of play. You know, you come through that sevens line. You were always out in the open field. You were always incredible at finding space. As one of that kind of first-generation modern players, how have you seen the game change now, and how does that reflect in Major League Rugby? Well, first of all, I've, I've, I've got to say that I was known as, as sitting in the back line, not necessarily doing the work, but now that I see my ear is sticking out a little bit, at least I tackled one or two people, you know, the old the, <laughs> the rugby, scar, the rugby scars that you get. I can't quite fit an AirPod in there, but uh, that's okay. Um, look, I, I, I think I think... You know, rugby's got it's got faster. The guys are, are, are bigger, stronger, faster, and, and and we've always worked out contact and collision and 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 um, you know being able to be a little bit of both is is important. I I think where where it gets more exciting now is we're starting to see multi-skilled athletes. So you can almost play from a loose forward to an inside center. So you've, you've got people who can who can. Um, you don't have to hyper-specialize, and, and that's one of the keys of, of, of rugby. You know, you, yes, you, I mean, we see, you know, obviously props and locks and scrum-offs and, and wingers of different sizes, but but everybody's starting to get to a level where you're an athlete, you know, and, and it's not a case of you do your bit and you rest and then somebody comes on and takes it for you. It's the whole, uh, that, that whole aspect. And I think as a, as, a, as a young loose forward growing up, that's what I aspire to. I, I aspire to being able to, do my bit in the in the tight, but also 
you know, try and run, try and, try and link with the backs, et cetera. And, and, and we've seen how the evolution of the loose forward has happened. You know, the, the guys are running, you know, sort of winger type paces for, for a you know, 50 yards or a, 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 what do you call it? The 40 yard dash or a, or a hundred yards or whatever, but they're able to make 16, 18 tackles a match and get up. So it's like running cross, cross country with a bear on your back you know, uh, you know, up a hill. And, and, and I think that's the, that, that's the beauty of the quality of the athlete. That's what we asked Banksy to do when we just get ready for the show. So that's interesting that you bring that up. We're talking to... <laughs> he won't take it. I'm the bear. He's got to carry on his back. That's what he's yeah, not saying. The, yes, yes, I'm the bear. Exactly. We're talking to Bob Skinstad from England, legendary uh, player from South Africa, 2007 World Cup champion. Um, I want to talk about South, South Africans in this league. There are a lot of them. They're having a tremendous influence in the game. Kind of what's the role of uh, your fellow countrymen in sort of spreading the game in the States, in your opinion? Look, I think, um, you know, rugby is one of those, one of those sports where the diaspora is, is um, it's very diverse. I mean, rugby, r- rugby only, only spread through uh, military bases and boarding schools, you know, at, at the turn of the last century. So, so if you, if you look now, it's South African kids, Irish kids, Kiwi kids, Australian kids going to the U.S. and 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 trying for a some form of of um, college bursary or, or something like that because they know that you know they, they want to get into the big market. They want to be part of what's happening. And rugby is a sport where they can compete. So I think the the contribution is fantastic. You know what I like is that is that rugby. Um, you know, around the world has been very sort of warm and welcoming. So, so people might say, okay, I, I can I can play a, a game. I'm I'm quite good, at, and I've got a bit of a skill on the side. And then they say, hey, come and play for our local rugby team, and you know, maybe the, the owner of the team or the manager, or whatever, has got a plumbing business, and you can play your trade doing that. So you can do a bit of both. You know, it's not quite uh, where you you either play NFL or you don't play. You know, and, and, and rugby's had that sort of the traveling man, you know, the backpack over the shoulder. Hey, I can turn out on a weekend, but I can shovel snow on a Tuesday, and, uh, and you know, before Tuesday practice or Thursday practice. So I think South Africans are good luck at it. We travel well. Um, you know, so do the so do the New Zealanders, so do the Australians, uh, so do the Irish. Um, and and that's that, that's where they fit in. You know, they're, they're, they're good team men and, and they're happy to do the work. So a lot of players in the USA were exposed to the game at the sevens level first, obviously the USA national sevens program. It's done really well on the international stage, but sevens is in the, in the greater rugby world, a very niche part of the game. You made that transition and excelled where a lot of other guys have struggled. So what advice would you give to a lot of American sevens players who are now adapting to the 15s game? What's the biggest adjustment between the two different disciplines to you? Look, it's a, it's a great question. I mean, I, I, th- I think I was really lucky. We, we, I got into sevens when, when sevens as a, a sevens wasn't a vocation. You couldn't, you couldn't just play sevens. We, we, you it know, was something was you playing. did for fun in Hong Kong on a weekend. It's exactly right. Great weekend away, you know. Um, and and there were there were loads of tournaments like that. But but you would sort of get into the season, and your coaches would say, "Hey, you, you you can't go away for the for the sevens team anymore." And then it became something where, where there was a circuit, which I think is great. I have to say, and it spreads the game brilliantly. I would say for the players that play sevens, they've got speed, they've got skill, they've got that ability. Um, it's it's a the, the transition is about being part of a, a slightly larger team where you you just got to. I don't know, maybe hold your ammo a little bit longer. Like sevens, you you're in, you got your seven minutes, you give absolutely everything, and then and then you're dead. Like at fifteens, you still got nuances. It's still hey, we we've had five or six bad minutes here, guys. We've had a player sent off, but we've made our tackles. We're still in it. You know, you got to you got to make the transition. And and I think the the best players who've made that transition um, have understood that that you're part of a, a big, you know, and, and, and off the field, after the game, you got to, you know, you got to transition into, into being something in a team where other people are like, Hey, okay, we're going to, you know, the big change you want to do overnight, it's actually going to take us three months. So, so calm down. And, and for me, like sevens was just high impact. Boom. You either win or you, you're gone. Whereas 15s, you, 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 those nuances, maybe even in the season, you know, you've got a good game, bad game, etc. Sevens like tournament is just you, you know, you close your eyes and you're gone. So 
I think the best players, they've got enough skill, they've got enough fitness, got enough ability, and definitely got enough speed. It's more about just reacting to the nuances of the game. I wanted to ask you about, uh, you mentioned your time in studying kind of San Diego Legion and the Utah Warriors, kind of what you learned about the Utah Warriors that uh, you think might be successful in the future. Look, I love my time um, there. You know, Kimball and, and, and the guys hosted, our, hosted us. It was amazing. Um, I, we did two, sorry, three separate trips. I also love my fishing, so so it was the right season for that. So I went <laughs> trout fishing on on after the match on the weekend. Um I think I think the best thing about um, you know the the Warriors for me was the sense of community. You know, everybody had that from day one. It was like um, they, they. I think a lot of the guys had schooled together and they and they played sort of their what we would call club rugby. So 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 their university or their college team, and 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 some of them were were club and some of them were college together. So they knew each other. The families were supportive. They were around the game. Um, and the community just sort of bought into that. So, I think I think what I what I was most impressed with was I, I didn't realize how many people already loved rugby and loved the game and supported the game there. I, th- I thought they were sort of trying to, in in, in my opinion, and, and I'm talking a couple of years ago, I was like maybe selling a new-ish game. But you know, we got there and it was like it was you didn't have to light the flame. The flame was lit and people were very excited already. So I love that bit. You got to play with, in my opinion, two of the greatest players to ever step on a rugby pitch in, and I don't think anybody will argue this, in both Osterrand and Just van der Woosthuizen, who were just giants of the game on and off the field, and you were kind of that next generation. What did you learn from being around guys like that about the game and the culture of rugby that you would like to pass on to a newer generation who are picking up the ball now like these kids playing in the MLR? I mean, that's such a great question. You know, people, people, and and Yost has, has passed, and and may he rest in peace. What what an amazing man of the game. Um, he was like he, he, we were talking about like groundbreaking. He was like a fourth loose forward. He was the first scrum half who was like the same size as all the loose forwards, but just faster and and more aggressive and wanted to win. He was just an amazing guy to play with. Um, and, you know, later on in his career, he became a leader in the team because early on he was he was just like his own – I mean, he was never negative. Like, just he was in, in his own bubble. He was just him. No one could no one could keep up with him. No one could be um, – no one could compete with him. I mean, you know, he was just out there. And then he actually learned the nuances of team. Um and I think I think that was a great lesson for me. Is like a guy with that much skill and ability, he he could learn to sort of he could learn to lead early on, and then he could learn to fit in, uh, and then bring younger players through. So he was a great example, um, and we miss him very much. He was a great guy, great guy to have in a in team. And you know, motor neuron disease is is one of those terrible things that we see, and it's it's, it's hugely highlighted in sport because he's such a high profile character. So to watch this friend of yours, and we. You know, we pushed him around in a wheelchair for the last three years, and and he knew. So it was just a, it was a really heartbreaking thing. And, and to watch the videos of him in his prime, and then talk to him, it was just a, a very heartbreaking um, experience. But an amazing guy had a huge big impact on on all of our lives. And then Osterant was, I mean, probably the most physically capable, um, strong, sort of uncompromising individual like the best caricature of a prop that you could get you know with a few extra skills thrown in he could kick the ball past the ball and, and tackle and he had speed but he was just he never went backwards anyways like backwards is not a word that he knew so um it was just an amazing um opportunity and, and privilege to play with him you know he was the first guy ever from um from south africa to win two world cups and he won them 12 years apart if you think about that for a, a, you know any career that that lasts twelve years, is, let alone a front is, rower. Well, I was going to say, I mean, you know, why would you be playing in the front row when you're not already grizzly and tough? You know, that means that means as a as a twenty one year old kid or twenty two year old kid, he won the World Cup, and then as a thirty four year old man, he won the World Cup. So absolutely amazing, and to have that longevity. Came back from quite a difficult injury. He had a he had a knee injury. In the midway through his career, which kept him out for almost a year, 
um, and then he came back and and was one of the most one of the finest athletes ever to to play the game. I was going to ask you about uh, you know Major League Rugby and its role in helping develop the Eagles to where hey they not only win the first game in a World Cup but compete in a World Cup. What role does a domestic league in a country, in your opinion, have on that development? It's huge. I mean, I, I think you know the the U.S. sport in general has got a really good um, leap on the world because the leagues own the sport. You know, and, and, and I say this to American guys, and they're like, yes, that's that's what happens. And I said, no, 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 it doesn't happen everywhere else. The, the unions participate, but then there's a top-down approach. You know, you, you're in a league, but the league doesn't protect the league. Whereas where, where, where sport, you know, I know baseball's had a, got a, a freeze out at the moment, and, and, and I'm sure they'll come to um, to, to a sort of resolution on, on, on that. But if there was a team in the NFL that, just overnight, let's just say what happened to Chelsea, you know, that they weren't able to to play, the league can support. So so in in, in other countries, in South Africa, the league doesn't own it. it. It's it's the union owns it, which is above, and then the league is below. So I think there's already a great example of how to go forward, like like what the league has done with all the participants and all the quirks and foibles and you know good bits and bad bits or, or whatever, but you sign a participation agreement to protect the game for the league, which is an amazing step in the right direction. It's like, it's like turning up and saying, hey, let's set up a company and then, you know, write an agreement that says that guy gets all the rights and we get none of the rights. That's not going to work. You know, and in a couple of months' time, someone's going to say, okay, can we look at the charter of the company? And they say, oh, I don't want to do that. Like the league has been set up really well from the very beginning to protect the game, look after the game, so, which means there is um, a lot of pressure on each team to get involved in the community, um, to, to make sure that the game is is coached and looked after by the players in the community. They do the extra work. They they take the game to, you know, the, the schools and the clubs that wouldn't have seen it before. They maintain the amount of exposure the kids get to the game, etc. And and I think I think that's where your market has an advantage on everybody else. I, you know, selfishly, I, I wish our markets did that, but the leagues are only now starting to realize that that's how you protect the future of the game is you've got to protect the future of the league. And I, I think you've set it up, you've set it up for success. And that's important for me because, because it helps each team with their little journey as well. I want to go back to like, we've seen how that model has almost kind of failed in a sense now in South Africa, which thankfully has opened the door for a lot of those incredible players to come here, you know, but I think the league and the way it's set up now in our fifth year, there is a real palatable energy about it going forward and not just from the product on the field, but this is my next question to you. How do you see the advantage from a business standpoint in what the MLR has to market to present to the rest of the world where Globally, the product is already re really familiar. What makes the U.S. market so unique from a business side? I mean, that's easy. In, 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 one, in one sentence, size and opportunity. You know, like, like uh, we, got, we, we did our study um, on, on the MLR and the opportunity in, in quite early days. You know? and, and the women's lacrosse leagues and supporters – were bigger than what was happening in rugby officially. But then I went over there and I, like unofficially rugby was much bigger because there wasn't a collective. And now that there's a collective, there's something to hang your hat on, there's something to be part of, there's something to support, there's something to be, you know, it's like, hey, if I'm a rugby fan, sure, I'll do my local club, but what's happening in the MLR? Are we near, are, are we near playoffs? Are we near the finals? Who's winning? You know, what is the, you know, who's chasing, um, in the early days, who's chasing it, the sea wolves, and, and and how does it how does it work? Like I think um, that because you set up in a in a in a structure that that makes it easier for success, um, the and we've seen South Africa now suddenly players and unions are fighting with each other. But what have they got to? Why are they going to resolve? They don't. They're not. They're not participating in the bigger picture. They're just fighting each other. 
you know, so that, they actually they got to learn from what's happening in 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 you know in your league and say, okay, how do we benefit the collective? How do we actually say, okay, we're participating in the URC or whatever it is, and 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 when we're not in the United Rugby Championship in Europe, where do we do our preseason warm-ups and let's go and play in a market where there's a lot of South Africans? Let's go and play in a market where there's a lot of Irish expats, Kiwis, Wallabies, and where's that? That's the US. So, so I, I, I think it's a huge advantage. Well, Bob, this has been fantastic picking your brain about uh, rugby, about business, about rugby and business. Uh, this has been awesome. So we appreciate the time and uh, best of luck with everything you're doing. I appreciate it, guys. Great to chat to you. Um, make contact anytime. I look forward to seeing you now that the world's opening up. I'll be over for the uh, last couple of games in the season, and I hope it, uh, it keeps going so well. Well done. Bob Skinstead. How awesome was that? That was incredible. Ah, to have him on the show. Great insight from Bob. We appreciate uh, his time. Okay, that'll do it for us. Like and share this episode of Dub Nation. Follow the Utah Warriors on social media. For Caleb McEnany. Bob Skinstead, Mason Benson, Billy the producer, and Banksy. I'm Jerem Jordan. Go Warriors!